Hey, Shoreline City, I'm so glad to be sharing this message with you and a big hello to Pastor Earl and Onika. Love you both. Thank you for your friendship. Here's so many great things. And uh, hey, I'm excited to add uh, a sermon and a perspective from the book of Acts as you're studying this together. It is such an extraordinary book. I want to speak to you for the next few minutes on the subject, When God Stands. And I want to show you a story, a portion of scripture in the book of Acts chapter 7 that shows us why and when God actually stands up and what the significance of that is. I will never forget when I saw Shaquille O'Neal for the very first time. That's right, the seven-foot phenomenon that is Shaquille O'Neal. Now, this is back in his rookie season. He had come to the city of Seattle where um, our church started, and he was playing the late, great Seattle Supersonics, which ended up moving to a different city. But anyways... I was walking around what was called the Key Arena, and I couldn't wait to see Shaquille O'Neal play basketball. He had just graduated or moved on from LSU, drafted number one in the NBA draft, and the whole world wanted to catch a glimpse of Shaquille O'Neal. I got to the arena early, wanted to see the shoot-around, wanted to see number 33 for the Orlando Magic. I heard he was a giant of a man and had seen so much content about him. I was so excited. Now, we had no bleed seats at the very top of the arena, but I said, hey, let's go down right by the court and just walk in a circle for as long as we can to get as close as we can to the great Shaquille O'Neal. Now, when I arrived at the arena, we got down to the court and we started walking and we finally spotted the man, number 33, Shaquille O'Neal, and he was seated at the bench for the Magic. And we walked around and I was right behind the Orlando Magic bench. This is 150 years ago in Seattle, Washington, which is the West Coast of the United States of America. And I couldn't wait to see this mammoth man, Shaquille O'Neal, stand up. And I'm standing behind the bench and we're kind of supposed to keep moving and the security guards were a little hard pressed, a lot of work to try to keep people moving. Everybody wants to catch a glimpse of Goliath, I mean Shaquille O'Neal. And all of a sudden I'm standing behind the bench, I will never forget this, I'm probably like barely not a teenager. And up from the bench comes the seven foot plus giant Shaquille O'Neal. And I'll never forget watching him stand I remember I must have looked so silly as I stood there just gawking, truly, at probably the largest human being I had ever heard of, seen, and certainly ever been close to. I was flabbergasted. I was gawking. I was speechless. I was stunned. I was stuttering to say anything as this massive human being is before me. He would go on to have a Hall of Fame career and now uh, host one of the great TV shows in, 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 in all of America, maybe around the world, inside the NBA. Shaquille O'Neal. I'll never forget it. In fact, every time somebody says Shaquille O'Neal, I remember that moment. I had the privilege later with a friend to meet Shaquille and be around Shaquille and didn't actually tell him that story because I'm sure a hundred million people have the same story. The first time they were close, even in proximity to Shaquille O'Neal is nothing short of stunning. When Shaquille O'Neal stood up, I'll never forget it. Now, that brings me to another unforgettable moment in scripture. 
And that is we have a man by the name of Stephen. If you don't know who Stephen is, he is essentially a volunteer for the first church, the early church, the Christian church, the beginning of the Christian church. He's a volunteer. He's a deacon. He loves Jesus, loves the story. But Stephen comes under some criticism in Acts chapter 7, and it's basically around Judaism and the laws of Judaism and Christianity, and are they at odds, and let's make sense of this. And people start getting upset, and so Stephen starts to tell the narrative, the story, Jesus and Israel and what he's done and what his plan is. And it's amazing. And by the time we jump in on the story, we find it in Acts chapter 7 and verse 15. It says, now when they heard this extraordinary story and explanation of what Jesus had done and how it affects Judaism and how it's no longer about systems and, and sin and shame and self and it's all about Jesus and forgiveness and love and acceptance, they were overtaken with violent rage filling their souls and they gnashed their teeth at him, which means they were very, very angry. And it goes on in the next verse and says... They, but Stephen, they gnashed their teeth, but Stephen, verse 55, was overtaken with great faith, was full of the Holy Spirit. He fixed his gaze into the heaven realm and saw the glory of God and splendor of Jesus. And he saw Jesus standing up. He saw Jesus stand up at the right hand of God when God stands. It's one thing when Shaquille O'Neal stands. It's a whole nother thing when Jesus stands. Look, look, Stephen says. I, I can see the heavens opening and the Son of God, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God to welcome me home. His accusers covered their ears with their hands and screamed at the top of their lungs to drown out his voice. Then they pounced on him and threw him outside the city walls to stone him. His accusers, one by one, placed their outer garments at the feet of a young man named Saul of Tarsus, who would later be Paul and write more than 50% of the New Testament with, of course, the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Verse 59, as they hurled stone after stone at Stephen, he prayed this out loud. Oh, Lord Jesus, accept my spirit into your presence. He crumpled to his knees and shouted in a loud, a loud voice, our, our Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And then he died. It's an extraordinary moment in Scripture, isn't it? Now, what you may not know about church history is it's this extraordinary moment that we'll investigate just a little bit further for the next few minutes that that well became the catalyst for the dispersion, the scattering of the Christians in the church as we know it. Some would argue Acts chapter 1 to 7, that whole portion of scripture of the book of Acts is the establishment of the church starting in chapter 8 and beyond is the scattering of the church. It's the growth, it's the expansion, but the expansion comes from this catalytic moment where a volunteer named Stephen sees Jesus standing. When God stands. When does God stand up? Why is Jesus said to be standing? Why is it so significant to Stephen that as he's dying and his skull is being pulverized by rocks, why does he get volume in his voice to proclaim, I see Jesus standing. The heavens are open. This, of course, would have been heresy to the persecuting Jewish 
leaders and scholars and teachers in the synagogue and they drowned out his, what he's saying. It, what he was saying was so troublesome, it was so significant that, that it affected even the persecutors. They didn't want to hear it. They wanted nothing to do with an open heaven and Jesus standing in favor and that can't be true. See, the Bible says that we are seated with God in heavenly places. When God is seated, it's significant. When God stands, it's significant. When he sits, it's a portrait and picture that all that has been done is completed. The finished work of Jesus on the cross. He said the six and a half hours he hung on the middle cross between two thieves. He said it is finished. What is finished? The work of Jesus is finished. Forgiveness is available. Righteousness is available for anyone and everyone. Not those who believe in their own merits and their own deeds, but only Jesus' merit and Jesus' deeds. So when Jesus is seated it's significant and Ephesians amongst other letters speak to that but here Stephen wants to point out Jesus is not seated he's standing and his standing seems to communicate the significance of the moment his standing seems to shed light on what is most important to God his standing seems to tell us what is God's priority? Where is God in all of this? Or more specifically, where does God stand in this moment? What is God's message? What is God's passion when God stands? Do we know when God stands? Do we know why Jesus is standing here in Acts Chapter 7, I simply would like to suggest that the same reason that Jesus is standing in Acts chapter 7 still remains the same reason he will stand in 2021. The same reason that the significance of Jesus standing at the right hand of God, almost standing in attention, standing to honor the moment, standing to send a message, and opening the heavens and allowing Stephen to see him and his posture and position, which had changed from seated to standing. It's as if not only does he want Stephen to see it, he wants the persecutors to hear about it. He wants us to hear about it because it's significant. And I wonder if there was a way, if we could know that in 2020 or now 2021, is God still standing? Does he still stand for us? Does he still stand for others? Or was this a one-time moment? Was this just for Stephen? Was this because Stephen is so magnanimous and Stephen is so uh, gregarious and gracious and godly and generous? Why, why is God standing and I, what I love about the story is God's not standing for for Saul who later becomes Paul God's not standing for a superstar God's not standing for a rock star Stephen is not even a main character in the New Testament Stephen is a volunteer Stephen is average and normal like you and me Stephen is just an everyday guy but Stephen loves Jesus and Stephen knows the story and Stephen defends under the persecution and Stephen is overtaken by faith and 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 and, and Jesus stands for Stephen not even one of the 12, not even one of the apostles. When does God stand? I want to give you three, three instances that we can be sure God stands. 
God intends to be seen standing. God wants us to know that he stands in these moments. Here's what God stands for. Here's what God's priorities are. Here's where God is focused. What does God stand for? I want to say, number one, it is apparent to me that Jesus stands for his hurting children. It's apparent to me that the injustice of the moment is not lost on Jesus as he stands for his son whose earthly experience is being taken from him. God stands in empathy. God stands in compassion. God stands for justice. God stands for his children. It reminds me of that verse that says, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That, that verse could literally say, God desires all his sons and daughters to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Because what we see is seven billions, just hu seven billion human beings living on planet Earth at the same time. God sees seven billion sons and seven billion daughters. He sees sons and daughters. And so he stands for his children. He stands for when his children are hurting and when they are broken and where there is injustice, Jesus stands. Well, it seems to hint at when Jesus stands and what Jesus stands for, we should too. Jesus stands for his hurting children. Number two, it's apparent to me that Jesus stands for the homecoming. Jesus stands when we come home. This is what Stephen says, it, it, and I love how the Passion Translation, because it picks up on the nuance of the original language. It says, Stephen said, I can see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, standing, standing, standing to welcome me home. He's standing because I'm coming home. He's standing. He's, he's like the parable Jesus told of the prodigal son. And no doubt Jesus is insinuating that the father in the story and the son in the story, the son is you and me. The father is God. The father is him. The father is to reveal the character of God. And notice in the story when his son is wayward, the father is attentive. The father is watching. The father is looking. The father is anticipating the return turn of the son and when the son comes home the bible says the father ran to the son which is to say god stands and god runs when we come home I want to remind you that earth is not your home. I want to remind you shoreline city. I want to remind you of what's actually happening in the earth. The reason you feel unsettled is because this is not where we get settled. The reason you feel uneasy is because eternity in heaven will be easy. In the meantime, we're trying to be the missionaries we're called to be. Somebody recently said to me, wow, you live in L.A.? Another person said, how is it in Seattle? Pretty chaotic. And that told one sweet lady who I know she meant well, but she said, I'd get out of L.A. L.A. is getting bad. I said, man, with all due respect, I'm a missionary. And where there is pain and where there is hurt, that's where I get to go. 
So if you don't mind me saying so, I love L.A., I love Seattle, and I love where I live, and I love the people there. Oh, right, 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 she kind of backpedaled. Wait, this isn't my home. Let us not treat it as such. The goal of life is not to make this my home. Some people say, we got to change the world. We got to fix everything. Yes, we do, but we won't. Well, Judah, this is not the most encouraging sermon that you could give to Shoreline City. I, maybe we could do an edit on this video. I, I, I don't know. No, 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 no. We, we can't change the world. Today, I had a conversation with Pastor Darius Daniels, and he, we were talking about the sin of racism and prejudice and bias. And he, he said, we don't need everybody to understand, agree, see, hear. We just need somebody, some group, a remnant. And then he said, go with the goers, Judah. Go with the go. Keep moving. Sometimes I think we want to cross every T and dot every I as if we can on this earth. There will be pain. There will be problems that doesn't give us the right for indifference or selfishness or being lax or lazy with missionary work, but it also puts things in perspective. This is not my home, but someday I'm going home. And Paul, the same man who stood there when his name was Saul, and he watched Stephen die. Years later, he would put pen to paper and say, I'm hard-pressed to stay here as a missionary or go home with my father. In other words, I want to go to heaven, but I'll stay here on earth for a short stay longer. This life's a vapor. Please don't lose sight of that. When does God stand? When you come home and you'll be there soon. You'll be with loved ones and lost ones. They'll be there. But in the meantime, are we not missionaries wherever we are? Is it not our privilege to tell the story of Jesus everywhere we go? For his story is our story and we don't read it. We live I'm done, coming to a close. When does God stand? Well, I know he stands for his hurting sons and daughters. I know he stands when it's our time to come home. But I also know, and I'm sure there's other reasons God stands. Forgive me for not being exhaustive because of time, but I'll end with one last observation, takeaway, and perspective. God stands for his image. When he sees his image, when he sees a reflection, he stands. For when he made you and me, he said, let us make man in our image. Father, Son, Spirit, one God, three persons. Let us make man in our image. I had some parenting advice recently that was so helpful. They said a parent should not make their children in their own image. You should encourage your children to grow up in God's image. It's funny when I think about church home, my, my goal is the main preacher and communicator and teacher of scripture is not to make people like me. It's to make people like Jesus. 
he saw his image. I can prove to you that he saw his image because Luke's gospel and John's gospel and others, they, they tell us of what Jesus said when he was on the cross. They tell us. Luke chapter 23, for instance, verses 34 and 46, tell us what he said in verse 34 of Luke chapter 23, tells us that, that Jesus says, Father, while they're nailing him to the cross, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Listen to Stephen now. This is not normal. Rocks are pulverizing his skull. The crown of his head is beginning to swell. And he will soon begin to experience shortness of breath. A concussion, I'm sure, is already settling in. Stephen won't live much longer. He's dying by rocks crushing his head. And while in excruciating pain, very similar to Jesus, Stephen a church volunteer says, Oh Lord, with a loud voice, don't hold this sin against them. And then he died. You know what Jesus stands for? Forgiveness. When he sees his image, and you might ask, Well, how do you know? You are reflecting the image of Jesus. Here's one way, one of many ways, but here's one way, and I think a paramount way, a primary way, an important way. Forgiveness. When forgiveness is a theme, when forgiveness is practice, when forgiveness is a priority, when forgiveness is celebrated, when forgiveness creates reoccurring feasts, food, fellowship, friends, conversation, were forgiven. Because see, the forgiveness of Jesus is not earned or deserved or warranted. It's freely received or accepted. Father, don't hold this sin against them. In other words, forgive them for this. Oh God, help us in 2021. I wonder sometimes if we think taking our stand is to stand for truth, but the scripture says, express your faith in Jesus through love. That's what Galatians 5 says. All that matters now is expressing your faith through love, through love. Not expressing your trust in Jesus through law, regulations, rules, ethics, morals. But your faith, if legitimate and authentic, if you trust Jesus, you love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you love who he loves. And so you love people. And it says that Stephen was overtaken with great faith. If you're watching this sermon and you're thinking to yourself, I can't live like that. I, somebody was crushing my skull with rocks. I would pray, God, judge them for the injustice. What comes out of Stephen 
His great faith that has overtaken him. Understand your faith is a gift from God. One of my favorite words for faith or definitions for word is divine persuasion. It's when God persuades you in his own divine way. And it says Stephen was overtaken with great faith in verse 54, 55. He was overtaken. He was overtaken. He was overcome. He was overwhelmed. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to Christians all over the world. You're going to be overtaken with faith. And when you're overwhelmed with a persuasion that's divine, when you're overwhelmed with a confidence and an assurance, when you feel the persuasion of God, settling over you like a warm blanket and it begins to tell you that God is in control. You're going to be home soon, but this isn't your home. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There might be pain ahead. There might be more problems ahead. There might be more quarantines ahead. There might be more diseases and wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and fear and hatred and bigotry and injustice. There might be more. But I am Persuaded that he who started a good work will complete it. Oh, Stephen, you, you don't know yet, do you? What? You're going to die today. And your skull's going to swell and it won't be long now. You'll, you'll be home. Stephen, what you may not understand because you think of yourself as merely a volunteer. I just attend church. I, who am I? You are going to be the catalyst for the scattering and mobilizing of the church of Jesus Christ. I wonder, and, and this is just my thoughts, this is just my opinion, so, and, and, preachers can fix this part of the sermon, but Pastor Earl, but um, I wonder, I wonder if what we think is causing um, isolation is also going to cause dispersion. I wonder if what we think is going to separate us is actually going to scatter us. I would like to predict that the future of the church is just like the history of the church. That God will again stand. And he will overtake many, many, many of his followers with his divine persuasion. And they will scatter. And God will do something miraculous. When God stands, I got a hunch, church, he's standing now for his hurting children, for those who have already gone ahead and gone home, and for his image of forgiveness in the earth. I predict the next 10 years, there may be challenges and mountains and contrary winds, but it will be one of the great decades for the church around the world for what was once siloed will now be scattered god may be speaking to you even while i'm preaching this sermon god has asked you to make a move and step out and he's still asking you one of the ways you'll know it's him 
one of the ways you'll know is he will overtake you with divine persuasion. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you so much for your ways, who you are. I thank you for Shoreline City. Thank you for what you're doing. We love you. We love you. If you're watching this right now and you say, Judah, I would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers, I want to encourage you to do that. If you're watching this video and you'd like to receive the free gift of forgiveness and receive a relationship with Jesus on the count of three, just lift up your hand. You say, Judah, I don't need to lift my hand. You don't, but I think when you do, it just makes it more real to you. God, every single hand and heart, I thank you is forgiven forever and I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. Once again, Pastor Earl, Shoreline City, I love you very much. My honor to just add my voice to this extraordinary study and series on the book of Acts. Love you, Shoreline City. See you soon.